Hello and good day, Marvelous Podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you. As always, we've got a tremendous episode of the show for you today. We have Sarah Schley on and we are talking about her journey from broken to blessed. We dive into the bipolar spectrum, the four pillars of healing, overcoming depression, shadow work, healing the inner voice. Um, We talk about how to help others who are struggling with mental health issues, uh, the stigma of mental health, how to break it, uh, seeking balance versus exponential growth and so much more this is an absolutely phenomenal episode i know you're going to enjoy it so if you do please share it far and wide consider becoming a member at mattbelair.com where you can do so for free or by donation like on patreon if you need it for free just hit me up matt at zenathlete.com as always the best way to support this show is to uh, do three kind acts wherever you are in the world and if you want to work with me just reach out matt at zenathlete.com there are a variety of programs from the soul compass course one-on-one coaching group coaching and so much more if i can support you and whatever you're you're working on including sports performance because i've been doing a little bit more work with athletes lately so if you want to um explore some of those options just hit me up and let me know so thank you guys so much for being here let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive into this show wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with peace joy contentment power faith courage and get ready to enjoy this phenomenal episode with sarah schley hello and welcome to the mastermind body and spirit show i'm your host matt belair if you'd like to support this show, please go over to mattbelair.com and consider becoming a member by donation. But the best thing you can do if you want to support is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is the author of the acclaimed memoir, Brainstorm, From Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. She is a business consultant, speaker, and author who has led organizational transformations at renowned companies around the world. She is also the leader of Seed Systems, an international consulting collaborative that she founded in 1994 to create a regenerative, inclusive, and kinder world. Welcome to the show, Sarah Schley. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive into this conversation. conversation. You have a very diverse background, so I shortened the bio a lot. Um, You've written a new book that looks very exciting, but you've also written a few other books. So you've been doing a lot of great work for a long time. And I'd love for you to just catch the audience up, like tell them a little bit about yourself and how you got into the work you're doing and what led you to writing your newest book. Okay, thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's like, where do you start time at the beginning (laughs) of time? (laughs) But I'll just say for, you know, about 30 years of my career, I've been at as you mentioned, a consultant working in environmental and social sustainability in large corporations like Nike and Ford and Eileen Fisher and others. So that was my, you know, livelihood and my professional persona. And I've written a book on sustainability called The Necessary Revolution with some other folks. Uh, And at the same time, uh, throughout that whole period, without, you know, my colleagues or pretty much anyone knowing, I've been wrestling with a bipolar brain on the bipolar spectrum. Uh, since I was 21. So that's been, you know, parallel process that has, you know, I said, I kept in the closet and I really kept that hidden for almost four decades, really only the pieces people closest to me knew until recently. And I decided to come out and tell my story for three reasons. One, end the stigma, two, save lives, and three, maximize healing. And I think I was particularly motivated now because of the pandemic and this like 
mental health tsunami that's that's pandemic induced and so many people need help. So it was time. Wow. Well, that's a very short and concise summary. Um, with your book, how many people did it say? I, I saw the number. It said there's like uh, millions of people that are on the bipolar spectrum. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I've just done a bunch of research because I gave a TED talk about 10 days ago. And according to, I, I turned to Dr. Holly Schwartz, who's University of Pittsburgh um, professor at the medical school and one of the world renowned authorities on the bipolar spectrum. And according to her, National Alliance on Mental Illness and others, there's about 7 million people with bipolar presently in the States and at least half of those on the bipolar spectrum, which we'll get into in a minute, I'm sure. And I believe those, those numbers are significantly underreported because of A, the stigma and B, misdiagnosis. Right. Wow. Probably yeah. That's, that, yeah. That's quite a, quite a few. And, and if we're not even counting all the other mental health issues that are going on, um, there are so many different ways that people need support in the mental health field. And this is one of the, uh, yeah, I would say stigmatized ones, but also frightening. Like it can go into uh, the state where people even get into a manic state, right. Where it's kind of like, like really off. And then what, what I've seen is like, people don't even really know how to uh, treat it. You know, it's, you go, there's all these different methods. So what have you uh, found to be true or helpful in the path to recovery? Like if someone is struggling with that, is that like they're a, a victim to this kind of um, flow of going from high to low or can they kind of even it out? Yeah. Well, there's um, the reason I wrote the book is because there's, there are lots of opportunities for help. And I unpurposed the subtitle, it's called Brainstorm from Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. And I was very intentional about using that word bipolar spectrum, because if I asked you, have you ever heard of a bipolar spectrum before? Tell the truth. No. Nope. 99 out of 100 people I ask have not heard of it. And yet it exists, right? And so because um, people don't understand the spectrum, people are misdiagnosed and they're given the wrong medications, which can make them even worse. So what is it? What you were describing, Matt, is um, you know extreme highs, extreme lows, people who show up with extreme mood swings and on the manic side, you know maybe wild all night sprees or other kinds of um, troublesome behaviors, right? But that's describing uh, what is known commonly as bipolar one, Roman numeral one, manic depression. And when people think of bipolar, they just think of that, somebody who's way high, way low. But it turns out there's a whole spectrum of bipolar, just like there's spectrums of so many other things we're learning, autism, sexuality, et cetera. And um, there are lots of other gradations of bipolar. So in my case, I'm bipolar two. Why does that matter? Well, bipolar two people and other along the spectrum, in my case, we do not show up as manic. We don't exhibit extreme mood swings. When we appear in a doctor's office, it's with great depression, right? So because there's not the big mania, we consistently get misdiagnosed as, oh, she's just depressed and let's give her antidepressants, but those drugs can make you actually worse. I'll take yeah. a breath. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I could go well, on and give you the whole TED talk. Yeah, yeah, so I'm gonna take yeah. a breath and let you take some questions. No, no, yeah, please continue. Well, <laughs> that's basically what the solution is nine times out of 10, right? Is to um, diagnose with some sort of pharmaceutical. Um, same with 
allopathic medicine a lot of the time where they're not looking a lot at nutrition. You have know, had a lot of doctors on and they say they got 16 hours of education on nutrition. So if you're obese or you have heart issues, you know, you can cut the body up and do all these different things, but you got to get to the root of the problem. And so I'd love for you to talk about some of the solutions that you came to where you, you talk about in your book, generating uh, skills and practices just to help, you know, center yourself and overcome mental health challenges. Um, so I'd love for you to speak on that or, or anything else that you want to dive into. Sure. Well, it's really important to get the proper diagnosis. And so there is, you know, it took me five psychiatrists in 25 years. And uh, because the bipolar spectrum is so little known and mis misunderstood, but the fifth psychiatrist who finally got it right, he dedicated himself to understanding the complexity of bipolar. Okay. So one thing is um, it's, you know, some of the psychiatrists are uh, experts on experts on the bipolar spectrum I've talked to now will show you a diamond four points four pronged approach right if you have a bipolar brain like me you need medication so that's part one right and it took me 25 years to accept that so I want to emphasize to people right diagnosis right medication is going to be really important but to in my opinion necessary but not sufficient in addition there's three other things in the diamond that experts recommend one is therapy, right? Getting, you know, working the emotional side of it. Another is um, a support network that you have a community that's, that is backing you up, right? And the fourth, which I think you will appreciate because you're a Zen athlete, um, are what I call practices for a healthy brain. Um, and those, we can double click, click on those. I use the acronym PECS, um, which I like for memory, and it stands for physical, emotional, creative, and spiritual. So I have a, a wide array of practices that I, that I uh, employ with religious discipline because of what's at risk for my brain if I don't do that. So I think those are essential, but that alone wasn't enough uh, to keep me, you know, stable too. I also need help with the, on, on, on the medical side. Right. Wow. Well, on the you, medication side. Yeah. You go into your, into the book, you talk about practices for a healthy brain. Did you find some of the techniques were more helpful or did you find any research on that? Because a lot of people don't know where to start, right? They'll say, oh, okay, I could do yoga. I could do meditation. I don't know how to meditate. I can do breath work. I can do this and that. What the heck do I do? So, so what practices have you found that were the most beneficial to just make you feel better? Yeah. I mean, I'm not super, um, schooled on the research on that. I know that, you know, aerobic exercise is, I'm pretty sure there's research out there to confirm that that's important, move the body, endorphins, et cetera. I, what I say is that um, I, I shoot for balance, doing something in each of those four, being physical, emotional, creative, and spiritual. So in the physical, it's move your body, pick the exercise you like. I do all of them you know, hike, bike, swim, <laughs> ski, skate, pick, pick your season. I'm in the Northeast where we have seasons, uh, but getting aerobic is really important and doing that, you know, on a daily basis, if you can, I also do yoga. I think for my brain, it's calming. It's helpful. It's steadying. I do that first thing in the morning, almost every day. And just, it sets my, I, I call it like the uh, physical and spiritual attunement. It's it sets my day up. Right. Um, on the, on the emotional side, um, you know, that's key too, particularly around now. We're in Zoom all the time. Human beings were not we're not designed to be isolated. We're social creatures. So having a community, I say, you know, combine physical and emotional. Go for a walk with a buddy. You know, um, do something with someone else. So there's that emotional connection. I'm involved in a chorus and a writers group, whatever, so that I have 
more and more community. I have a lot of community around me in addition to family. Um, and then on the creative end, um, pick, pick what you love. It could be dancing, writing, cooking, gardening, something that's gonna get you out of your left brain into that more creative restorative space. Um, and then for spiritual, I'm a big fan of unplugging from, uh, disconnecting from technology to reconnect with nature. Um, because again, we weren't designed to spend eight hours staring at these screens and it's the research does show that it's restorative for the brain to get out into nature and have, um, you know, then walk, bike, hike, uh, play, listen to music, do whatever you do to have, to connect with something larger than yourself. So that, those are things I do. I love that. Well, it's, it's very simple, right? It's not that complicated. It's just, I think that people don't set up their lives around those things where they get in this massive imbalance. And once the imbalance goes too far, then they want to take action, right? So maybe their health is out of order and, you know, they have an exercise and their diet's bad and they got a little bit obese and then the heart issue comes and then they take that action. And it's very well-rounded what you're speaking about. And I've heard stories from documentaries and even people on the podcast where they get a diagnosis of something like cancer. And so what they do is like, oh, my goodness, the doctor said I'm going to die. So I'm going to just take out all the stress. I'm going to stop everything I was doing. Then they go into this like stress-free lifestyle where they just try to increase the quality of their life. And all of a sudden it's two, three, four, five years later when they were supposed to only have this short duration of time. And then you look at some of the research that we now know about stress and about all these, you know, things that we do in our daily life. Well, you remove all those and the body can go back into homeostasis. It doesn't mean it's going to work every time, but you're having a more balanced lifestyle. That's going to be better for you in every way, mentally, emotionally, uh, and spiritually. And we don't schedule it. We don't make it important, right? Everything else seems to be the most important thing. And one of the things that they sent me over, which I, I was curious about, because I think it's a challenge for so many people. Um, you talk about how to silence the noise in your head and have a newfound clarity. I feel like most people have a maniac in their mind in a lot of the coaching that I do, whether it's sports or whether it's something else, it's about understanding that inner dialogue and what it's saying. And I always find it curious, why isn't our inner dialogue the most supportive, amazing, helpful, kind, compassionate inner voice. It's like this son of a gun in there, you know, always, you know, mostly and very often for most people just not being supportive. So I'd be, I'd love your tools on that because I feel like, especially if you're on the spectrum, it might be a little bit more challenging because they're going to lead you down a depressive alley potentially. And when you're in a deep depression, people feel like they can't get out or you're right. in deep anxiety and every day you're getting up and you're in anxiety, you're worried about the future. And both of those states of being are very stressful. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think there is research that says that human beings evolved around negativity because we had to make sure that the saber-toothed tiger didn't get us, right? So, so we got wired for fear and that's not so helpful, right? Um, the practice, you know, in addition to all of the, um, like I say, religious discipline, I call it, I, because I have radical respect for my bipolar brain, so I have to take really good care of it. But there's another, um, you could say an emotional tool, maybe psychological tool that I've been practicing for 30 some years is called shadow work. Um, and you can look up shadowwork.com is developed by a guy called Cliff Barry. I've been a practitioner for, for 30 years also. Um, you know, as practitioners, we have to both receive shadow work and facilitate it. So the work that I've been on the receiving end there, it does a lot, a lot of work on those inner voices and healing that. Um, and we do it through role play and through all kinds of stuff. That, that would be a whole other podcast, Matt. But, but I think there are there are practices for um, 
you know, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or Byron Katie's another one, her work called the work, um, shadow work that help us with the voices inside our brain and flip them. And I have one of my teachers that's coming to my mind right now, Donna Markova. Um, she used to talk about those voices as, is it a river story or a rut story? A river story keeps you moving. A rut story keeps you in the same, in a rut, right? And that's just a story your mind is making up. So, you know, uh, if, if the story is, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, that's going to pretty much lead to I'm going to fail. Versus if I recognize that's a rut story and then I flip it, you know, it's as simple as saying, I'm going to succeed. Um, but so, yeah, there's lots of different techniques for self-talk. Well, I love that example, the river versus rut story. I've never heard that before. And I feel like the shadow work, whether people give it different terms or shadow work and your inner critic and the inner dialogue and um, in neuro-linguistic programming, they also call it the map of the world or the story you tell yourself, right? About anything. Yeah. Uh, this was so pre- prevalent in athletes. And so I didn't, you know, some athletes naturally have a very high and strong mental game. You know, they're just doing everything naturally, but a lot of people don't. But that necessity in sport to succeed at the highest level, especially when your uh, body's on the line. So from a martial arts perspective or extreme sports perspective, that's where I really got into the inner dialogue and what we say to ourselves before we're about to attempt something where if we fail, we could be seriously harmed. And so yeah. there's, there's a necessity at that level. And that's why I feel like most people don't apply this stuff, even in sport and in life, because in basketball, if you say, oh, I might miss this shot or, you know, I missed a shot. I'm a loser. I just got to take this other shot. Um, nothing bad physically is going to happen. It's going to be emotional and guilt and going to be terrible in snowboarding and skateboarding and the, some of these other sports, you don't have that opportunity. It's not like, oh, I can think this, you know, you might be going to the hospital with a broken back or two right. broken legs. So right. you have right. to learn how to put yourself in that state. But if you can, it's a whole different way to look at life. And I, and that's why I wrote Zen athlete years ago, because I wanted to trick the kids into learning this because the reason why everyday people aren't applying it is because there's, there's not that necessity. It's like, they're kind of stuck in this. They don't have this uh, like competitive nature where they can bring it out and really, and really force it. And you would know this from, you know, all the other things that you do that you can bring this out into everything. And I just love uh, maybe if you have like a top technique or, or, perspective around that idea because i feel like it's so important to heal the inner world whether it's shadow work or one of the techniques to get somebody who has maybe never tried to say okay here are some beginning steps to start understanding your internal dialogue and change it to something that's more supportive that's going to work for you rather than against you yeah um so it's absolutely essential right and i have to say i just want to give the caveat that once if i'm in an active you know, bipolar depressive state, it's very hard to do any of this because it's like the inner critic has taken over and I don't understand the chemistry of that. So everything I'm doing now is preventive. And, you know, once you're in it, these things will still help, but it's going to be tough. So um, what's coming to mind for me right now, Matt, is um, something called mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, MBCT. It's like a lot of other uh, probably you know, modalities that you mentioned that you can find out of, uh, it's out of University of Massachusetts Medical School, a guy named John Kabat-Zinn. And it's a very simple approach to, you know, kind of mindfulness meditation. But the part that I like, I have a hard time meditating because I like to move too much. I'm better with yoga. I call it mindfulness medita- um, um, meditation in motion. So for me, it's harder to sit. But what I learned from these guys that I find very, very helpful is um, a simple technique to disaggregate yourself from what your brain is telling you, right? So 
if I am noticing that I'm feeling anxious or scared, if I can get to a place where I say fear is arising or judgment is arising or comparing mind is arising or jealousy is arising, whatever it is, once I get to is arising, then I've disaggregated. I'm not it, right? And then I can flip to whatever I want to say instead. So if I, you know, I have an affirmation, so let's say fear is arising. I notice that I notice it in my body that I'm, you know, getting tense, whatever that looks like, dry throat, you know, uh, tight shoulders. And this a whole other conversation we could have, um, which are the skills to notice those things, but fear is arising. Oh, okay. And then I want to say, you know, I am grateful or I am capable or I am strong or, you know, or if I see jealousy is arising, that's not a helpful emotion, right? So, you know, I love so-and-so or whatever it is, it's the turnaround on the phrase. But the first, the, the blank is arising. Those three words I find very helpful to kind of raise my awareness to disaggregate myself from whatever that negative talk is. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. That's a really wonderful technique, right? You're not identifying as the thing you're observing it, right? It's the mm -hmm. feeling is coming up and you're observing it. So yeah, it allows yeah. you the power of choice and will to, to change it. Right. So yeah. I think it's a very yeah. simple and powerful technique and it's actually something very similar. I uh, do with my coaching clients. I'll get them to wear like a watch or a bracelet or something to train them to notice where they go into the state. So maybe they slip into anxiety or depression quite a bit. So say, all right, well, when you notice that depression, right? Then stop and take deep breaths, but three deep breaths. And we'll figure out some sort of little pattern, like a pattern interrupt. Because what happens is it's like, in my view is a mental map of the world. When you're in depression or anxiety, any of these triggers can just send you there, right? There's so, so many pathways for you to go to that spot. So you want to kind of um, disrupt those patterns, those yes. narrow um, pathways in your brain. So when you can take three deep breaths and then add an affirmation or add a prayer, something unique, I usually just say three deep breaths and something that works for them to reset. And then what do you want? If you don't want to be anxious, what do you want? I want to feel empowered, right? So what's the thing you're going through? So with it, whether it's anxiety, you take the bracelet off and you put it on the other hand. Now what you're doing is you're training yourself to notice your state of being. And then in that point, you have a choice of how you're going to, you know, combat that experience, right? So in martial arts, if I'm going into combat, I'm afraid because they want to kick and punch me in the face, right? But I train, even though I'm aware of that situation, I'm training myself to be in the moment, right? Through those circumstances so that I can perform at my highest level, but we can bring this into every everyday life. And, and what happens, I feel like the, the, I'm trying to phrase this properly. Like I'll phrase it. The most unfortunate thing is that so many people feel like they're stuck in that frame that it's impossible to change, right? right. If you're, if you're depressed then you're going to be depressed or whatever your mind does. And then you feel that's just what you get, right? You can actually be more deliberate and apply your will and consciousness to your states of being throughout the day and shift them. Like one of your examples, if you're feeling like crap, Go for a walk in the forest. Now you have the environment. Now no more phones because we know they're addictive now like casinos. Just going through that. Um, you take your phone away and you have a friend, right? Yes. All that's, it's so simple. You hit physical, emotional, and spiritual in one, one shot. Go for a yeah. walk with a buddy in the woods without the phone. A hundred percent. Right. And then see yeah. if you feel better, but that's you taking action. Right. So now you're back in the driver's seat, because if you go from the victim mentality, it's very hard to overcome the circumstance, but if you're in a more empowered uh, mentality, it's, it's going to be a lot 
easier for you to find solutions to whatever you're going for because life is challenging and it is emotional and it is heartbreaking and it is sad and it is depressive and it is, you know, it's an anxious ride, you know, there's so much stuff to be anxious about. So we got to learn to train ourselves to be more adaptable, uh, to be more connected. And I feel like that spiritual element is a big part too, to know that you're connected to something more and and your work in your past books and everything you've done is, is a part of that as well. And I'd love for you to speak about some of your past work and books and how do we, if, if, how do we get, gain like a, a bigger perspective, you know, cause if it's all about me and my little world, sometimes we can feel defeated. Right. But if we have a little bit of a bigger purpose, a bigger connection, um, I feel like we're more inspired to get through and persevere. Yeah, absolutely. Before I go there, I just want to go back and highlight two things you said. I love, I want, because I want does take you out of victim mode. And it flips the switch. So if I'm feeling, you know, jealousy is arising or envy is or fear, once I notice that to go to what I want, I really support what you just said. That's uh, something we do in shadow work also. Um, and there's a whole pathway we could go down around um, learning your body sensations that are, are teaching you that you're scared, right? So I'm at the point now where I know I'm physically wired to understand or notice you know, like I was saying before, oh, my breath is short, dry, tension in my shoulders, that's fear. It's different for different people. But so kind of being tuned into body sensations are really important. I'm sure you do that in your show, Matt. Um, but in terms of like, in terms of the larger spiritual connecting to something bigger than ourselves, um, one of the earlier books I wrote was called Secrets of the Seventh Day. Um, and it's about how everyone can find renewal through the wisdom and practices of the Sabbath. So I happen to be a Jewish practitioner, um, and I do, I unplug, you know, not fully anymore because once I had the kids, then you kind of got to know where they are, but mostly unplugged for 25 hours from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Um, so a friend of mine, and what happens during that time is, um, uh, it's tremendously healing and regenerative um, because I, I do um, unplug from work. I unplug from shopping. I unplug from trying to make things, fix things. I unplug from trying to improve my relationship with my husband. I unplug from all that stuff um, with the intent of celebrating the perfection of this moment. You know, so it, it's, it flips your mindset and the whole day is about gratitude. Um, so I wrote the book because one of my friends uh, who witnessed what I was doing and loved that. And she's like, when we're, I, I've, I've got three kids and the husband, he works downtown Boston, in the financial district, we're going 90 million miles all, all the time. We never see each other. When I grew up, we had Sunday at church. We always had a time that was quiet. You know, I want to do what you do, Sarah. I said, but Linda, you're Catholic. She goes, I don't care. I want you to teach me how, how you do it. So I wrote a book basically that is ecumenical for anybody to be able to appreciate some of these rituals. You don't have to do them all, but you could pick what works for you. So like, for example, um, we pass wine or grape juice around the table and say, what are you grateful for? And we did that with the kids all the way from age one, right? Which is sort of imbuing a gratitude consciousness, which is the opposite of scarcity mind, the opposite of what's wrong, the opposite of what I'm not getting right. And, you know, there's all kinds of research about the power of gratitude. So, um, so that's, that's part of without going into that whole book, but I, we can do more if you want. Um, there's a way that there's like this magic of unplugging and just being and enjoying and celebrating being in gratitude, 
for a day that I mentioned all those things I don't do. Like my husband drive me crazy on Friday afternoon. By Saturday night, he's the greatest guy that ever lived. <laughs> In other words, the problem fixes itself by not focusing on it when we focus on gratitude instead. Well, I, lo- I love that idea and the practice. And I also love what you said where you uh, shared celebrating the perfection of the moment. Is that how you phrased it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. You yeah. Know, and again, it shifts your whole entire worldview and it's so powerful. And I had Michael Balkin on uh, a few shows ago and he cr- created this amazing app called Heroic that's got all these mindfulness tips. And he just shared that he has that practice too, where everything gets shut off. No, no phone calls, anything, nothing for work. And uh, he's a young man too. And I remember David Lombear a couple of years ago, he says, my new suggestion is just to shut off your phone from, you know, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. or 10, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. every day, you know, and just shut it off. But it was the idea is like, we're getting so more plugged in. Yeah. It's becoming more artificial. Even when you look online, you know, when I grew up, Facebook was just coming in, but now we have all this social. So you have your own, let's say, egoic masks that you go through the world and you try to adapt and understand and, and navigate this world. But now you have this artificial world, this avatar, where it's got the best filters, you know, the things you've done, and now people can judge you there. So yeah. a lot of people have all these other elements that they're tied into and engaged with and, and vying for their energy rather than just simply existing and, and getting back to the simple ways. And the older I get, the more I value that, you know, like a simple life with, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Good food, you know, a good community, you know, we can do things in person and it's not too extravagant. It's just very high quality, very simple and very slow. Um, It's a very beautiful way of living. And it feels like this, media machine, including all the social medias and everything out there, it's just very fast paced and very um, artificial. And we're living more in there rather than just going for that simple walk down the beach, having that conversation with a friend, you know, and maybe, uh, maybe you talk about this in your book as well, but maybe, you know, somebody who's struggling, right. They're going through a rough time. How do we reach out to that person rather than yes. you know, just, we're aware that they're there. Maybe you can just reach out and, and invite them for a coffee, stop by, bring them some flowers just to, just to let them know that they're loved. Uh, that can be game changing for people, you know, especially oh, yeah. times when they're really, really down. You want to talk about that for a minute, Matt? Sure. Cause yeah, I, I, again, I get the Ted talk right on the top of my head right now. So, um, so it turns out right now, pandemic-induced mental health tsunami, you said probably a lot more than 7 million people are, are suffering. One in five Americans are experiencing a mental health challenge, one in five. So that's 66 million people, right? So even if you don't have a, a brain challenge, you definitely know someone who does is going through something right now that's tough. So after I, um, as I started to do talks around the book and stuff, people on Zoom or in person, have said to me, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was that bad. If they knew me, I wish I'd known how to help. And then, or if they didn't know me, they'd be like, how do I help my cousin or my brother, my sister, my mother that I don't know what to do. And people kind of get frozen like deer in the headlights with mental health. So I came up with what I call your EMT toolkit. It stands for emergency mental health team toolkit. Um, And it's only four things, right? Because you can't remember more than four. One of the things you just said reminded me, you said, you said, reach in. So I say, um, number one is reach in. Don't expect them to reach out. They won't. Okay. You knock on the door, you make the phone calls. Cause when I've been really sick, I'm not going to call you. 
first of all, I think, um, why would you want to spend any time with me? Second, I'm, I'm too, uh, you know, in too much despair. Third, I think I'm worthless. All these, you know, really dysfunctional self-talk that happens. That's really the depression talking. So I'm not going to do it or I forget your phone number or I don't think whatever it is. So you have to reach into me. I won't reach out. The second thing is, um, just simply accompany this person, you know, don't try to fix it. You can't. All right. But what you can do is just listen with love and non-judgment. And these people are living in an island of despair. They feel isolated and alone. You're showing up in itself is hugely healing, right? You don't have to fix it to show up. But then I say the third thing, well, then there's those of you who really want to do something, just showing up is not enough. So here's what you can do. You can't fix it, but you can make the appointments. You can take them to the doctors. You can pick up the kids. You can fill the freezer. You can, you know, um, do the laundry. These kinds of simple tasks for someone like me, when my brain's broken, it's those are Herculean tasks. So you can do those and that's going to be huge. And then the fourth thing, the last thing is don't try to do this alone. You got to create a posse. You're going to need a support team, right? And uh, because otherwise you're going to burn out. Like, you know, my, my kids, they're sophomores in college right now. So they went into college during the pandemic, right? And kids are dropping like flies. One out of two young people, according to the Surgeon General, is experiencing anxiety or depression. So, you know, my daughter's super compassionate. She's like tuned into this one guy who's suicidal. And my honey, you cannot do this alone. You know, you got to create a posse. So, um, and thank God he's good now. Um, but that, that's the thing we're all going to, we need to have a support team and sooner or later, God knows you're going to need it. And it's, it's a community of compassion and action that gets created. That's beautiful for everybody. So. That's amazing. I love that. Well, it's, it's nice and simple and it's practical. And I feel like those are really, uh, key pointers, just the listening one, you know, that's it. People, you feel helpless when you're in it, but people also feel helpless to help. So I know, right. how do I fix this? What do I do? And, you know, I have, you know, experiences of friends and family that have gone through similar things and, and they won't reach out, you know, you're not going to reach so, out. No, yeah, you got to go. You're and, too ashamed. You're too yeah. ashamed to reach out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and go ahead. I was going to say just what I said before you got those of us who are in good shape at that moment have to reach in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's those uh, very, very simple things just to even, the fact they know you're there, you know, yeah. if that's all you're doing, that's enough, right? You're, you're not there to fix it. And, and then when you can have that opportunity to meet them in person, just listen, right? Just be a very good listener because you'll notice if you can become a very good and active listener, you'll realize that very few people are able to do that. They mostly are listening, waiting to speak. You know, one of the simplest drills you can, you can do and you'll watch, especially if you're talking to women in a relationship. That's the first time I tried this. Somebody taught me this uh, as a friend of mine and he's just has a, you know, the amazing relationship with his wife. Like they're, they're in their fifties and they look like high school, you know, kids. I was like, how are you guys so in love? I was just like, this is unbelievable. And, uh, and so he's talking, he's like, you know, yeah, we're so, we love each other a lot, but he goes, one of the things I do is, uh, I was like, cause he was talking about something. I go, well, sometimes I talk to, you know, my wife and she's just talking about nothing. He goes, it's the field report. I was like, what? He goes, well, I don't know if this is true, but what he said is back in the day, hunting and gathering women would go to the fields and they come back and they'd report everything they saw to us. And I was like, okay. It's like, it's like a primal thing. So what you got to do is you got to listen, don't say anything and then repeat back what you heard and say, if the, is there anything else? That's it. 
So I did that. And then it was fun, this funny pause with her on the phone because I had been traveling and I just did this big speaking engagement and it was a big deal where I was. And she told me about her day. And then there's this pause that was kind of awkward. And then she told me a lot more and I'd been using it, but I use it with everyone now, coaching clients, friends, everything like that. Because when you say, is there anything else? Did I hear you correctly? You're actually being heard, right? So you think that you're hearing them and understanding what they're saying. But when you do this, you're really reaching into that understanding. And that to me is a really, really beautiful gift that you can give people that's simple when you're doing it from an honest way. You want them to be full, like you're there to listen fully, active listening. And the other example that I saw of this was my friend Clifford Mahuti, who's unset, uh, very sadly passed. He was a Zuni elder. And I remember we would go around and we do these, uh, I would watch him speak and, uh, and there'd be groups of people. And sometimes we'd go around and everybody would speak. He would, uh, he's very short and he would have his, he would have his arms crunched up like this and uh, he'd have his eyes closed. And I'm like, Clifford's not a rude guy. Like, why is he, why is he having his eyes closed? Right. Yeah. And he goes, he, he I talked to him after he's literally listening with all of his might. It's <laughs> like, I have never seen somebody listen with all of their might. Like that was in, just so simple, but a very, very beautiful gift. So I just want to share the power of those two examples and, and how meaningful it can be, especially uh, when you're in there, cause you're not trying to fix it. They're just, they're helping to feel understood when they're in this place and that will give them the the leeway to process a little bit of what they're going through and maybe give them that next tiny little action step to get a little bit better on the path to, you know, where they want to be to feeling better. Absolutely. There's a quote from um, this woman, Terry Cheney, an author of something called Manic, a memoir. And she says the disease feeds on silence, uh, silence feeds on shame and I will not be silent anymore. So the thing is that it's like, if you show up as that person who can um, be present to listen, then I'm not silent anymore, right? And my shame goes down some. And if my shame goes down some, then maybe the stigma goes down some, and then maybe I'm gonna be willing to reach out to get more help. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely essential. It's like, it's like piercing a bubble of isolation and shame and silence. And I say that, you know, the stigma actually it can be lethal because people feeling the shame and stigma won't reach out for the life-saving help they need. Yeah. And, you know, then that kind of gets into a little bit of a darker scenario where you have people, you know, doing suicide and things like that, which is terrible. And if you look statistically over the last few years, that's way up. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the stigma, you know, the idea, because there's the bipolar in your, your understanding and feel, but then there's mental health in general, right? I think you could look at old, I don't know, old time in movies, but I'm just imagining, you know, the comedy where they go, I'm not going to a therapist. There's nothing wrong with me, right? You got that kind of generational thinking. Now, maybe it's like, okay, you could go to a therapist, but I still feel like there is a lot of just stigma around mental health and, and how people will perceive you. So how do we break, if you're the individual in it, what's their path to seeking help? If you could give them like some two cents, cause that's the most important, just, you know what, you're going to label me, whatever you're going to label me, I need the help. Right. And that's, yeah. that really cripples them, unfortunately. But then how can we do that as a, either a friend or society to begin to break that down? So it's like, you know what, if you need the help, that's okay. You know, I'm not going to judge you or shame you or think less of you because of this, you know, uh, that's yeah. a big thing. It's a big deal. Massive, massive stigma in our country against mental illness. It took me 40 years to be willing to tell the truth. You know, I wish I'd, I wish I'd spoken out a lot sooner, but what I would say to people is like similar to what my mentor told me. What she said, uh, she goes, you know, 
Sarah, you've done nothing wrong. You don't deserve to suffer. This is genetic. This is physical. Reach out and get the help. You know, it's like the, this part about that you've done death, you are innocent. You've done nothing wrong. This is genetic. This is physical. Reach out and get the help. At that point, I had, um, you know, I was, I was holding a life by a thread. I had two little kids who needed me so that I had to, right? But I wish I'd listened a lot sooner. Um, I think it's getting better, sadly, because this is mental health tsunami. So many people know somebody. Um, that and you, with the opiate addiction crisis and the mental health tsunami, I think more and more people are aware and be willing to ask for help. And that's a good thing because we need to encourage people. Um, we, and the, our job, if we're not sick, is to show up with non-judgment so people, so we reduce the stigma. Um, you know, but I wrote this book. Part of the reason I'm coming out is because I'm, I'm trying to end the stigma Look at me, nice middle-aged lady, good career, kids, husband. This is the face of bipolar, right? Um, and you might have a different, you might have had a different uh, stereotype about that. Oh, that's the person in the street. No, this is the face of bipolar. Um, so get out there and get the help. I, I have to say that in, in the opening of the book, I have a scene where I'm with my teenagers at the time, they're 20 now. And I was in a dilemma about whether or not to publish the book because on the one hand, there's a stigma and I'm afraid to come out. Maybe I'll lose clients. Maybe I'll lose my reputation. Maybe will, people will judge me, right? On the other hand, I could save lives, right? And I asked my kids, I put that dilemma to them and I said, what do you think? And they both at the same time, 17 said, mom, you have to do this is the most important thing you could do. And then they went on to say, that's your generation that worries about it. We don't care. You know, we don't have the stigma anymore. We know kids that are cutting themselves. We know kids are on meds. Don't worry, mom. You know, the stigma is ending. Well, I hope they're right. Um, you know, that it's, I do believe it's getting better, sadly, because we're in this tsunami. Um, but yeah, get the help that you need. Reach out. And if it's too hard for you to actually call a doctor, call your friend, husband, wife, partner, grown child, and have them get the doctor. Just say, you know, I'm like, my sister, Martha, I can't do it. I need you to find me a doctor. And she did. So just find someone who can be, I call it your brain buddy, um, who you love, who you trust, who you know has your back and, and get them to get you the help that you need. That's very, uh, as you say, brilliant, but just practical. You know, it's, I just know people and I've been pretty down myself. I think in my younger twenties, I struggle with depression. I feel like there are times now where I just look at the world and think, holy smokes. Uh, but definitely in my twenties, it was a little bit rough. And I know those states of being, and I know friends who've been stuck in those states and just getting help and all these simple practical tools are, are so important and so critical, especially, you know, when people are, are right at the, at the bottom, just to know that there is a, a glimpse of hope because that's really where, you know, the really final things come in where people think of something, you know, like uh, suicide or something like that. They see no way out. They can't right. see it getting any better. Right. And so just sharing your story and people talking about it a little bit more, um, having a little bit more understanding around these issues will be more empowering. And then we have the other side of the scale where we, you know, go from deep anxiety and depression or even like a mild case. And you're able to just stabilize that and create an empowered way of being, you know, mentally, emotionally, uh, spiritually, you're going to be that rock for another person. You have to be, right. you know, the solution you want to see in the world, right? It's just like, I, I give the example for spirituality where it's like, you know, our, our physical bodies, you could see. So if everybody in the world were, you know, 400 pounds and you are just, you know, 
150 and really fit, people would see that example just to know that it exists is a beautiful thing. So energetically, spiritually, emotionally, if we can be that example, you know, learn to just understand ourselves and how we operate in this world, build our character up and then be that support for other people as they may need a hand going through this because life can be incredibly challenging. And I love the quote that says something like never judge a person. You never know, uh, what they've been going through or something like that. Yeah, like, right. If, if we knew the stories of our deepest enemies, our hearts could not help but be filled with compassion. Oh, everybody's got a story. That's even better than what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got a story. Yeah. So, you mentioned earlier, Matt, in the conversation about homeostasis. And, you know, I, I so homeostasis is balance, right? And in nature, everything seeks balance. Temperature, salinity, breath, you know, the, the deer and the wolves, everything in nature is about balance, but our culture is about exponential growth and that's outlaw from nature. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so seeking balance is countercultural. Now I grew up in a family. I write about my dad, his, uh, he was a first gen, you know, immigrant and his um, mantra was work, 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 think later. So all us kids grew up with work, 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 think later, which also meant feel later, rest later, you know, take a break later. There's a part of that that's brilliant because you're going to be driven to succeed. There's a part of that that is a recipe for burnout and disaster. So with my, with my bipolar brain, that ended up being a recipe for burnout and disaster, right? If I just go, 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 go all the time. Um, so over time, it took me a few decades. I hope it'll, for your listeners, it can be sooner. I realized that my goal is balance, not exponential growth. My, my goal is homeostasis. My friend calls it homeostatic wisdom right? Linda Booth Sweeney. So, um, so if that becomes your goal, then it's a whole different metric, right? So like in my day, when I start my day, I look at, okay, every morning I say, where am I getting my exercise? Where am I getting my nutrition? Where am I getting my rest every day? So if I'm going to be like at a conference and I, you know, need to be talking all day, I'm like, okay, where am I going to get the break and borrow key to somebody's room? So I get my nap because I have to have my power nap between four and five. You know, or if, if I'm going to be out and about, you know, I don't know, the kids were younger and there was a baseball game, you know, okay, when am I going to get my 15 minutes to go to Whole Foods and get my picnic? So I'm going to eat that instead of hot dogs, you know? So I, I'm, I'm in the beginning of my day, kind of setting the compass towards balance um, for the whole day. And that's now how I determine if it's been a good day versus it used to be, did I chain myself to my desk for 12 hours? <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a huge insight right there because wherever you're aiming is where you're gonna go, right? Whatever your goals are. If you're not aiming, I, I just say it's kind of creating life by default, right? Just mm -hmm. life will happen and you'll kind of be pulled in these different directions and you'll do what you have to do to make money to put food on the table, and that's about it. Uh, but most people have goals and they set these certain goals, so they're gonna go in that direction. And I think you're right, people. It's like more money, more materialism. Uh, more stuff, more experiences rather than the balance. And, and I also equate this to knowing what your values are because part of your balance and you look at what you like to do, you like to hike and bike and snowboard and get outside. That stuff is fulfilling to you. It's, uh, you know, it's simple um, and it, it puts you in balance rather than, you know, if you were career minded, maybe in your previous life where you're like, how could I, you know, get the next deal and get even more money and then a cottage in the Hamptons or whatever the case is. But and then, then be miserable. 
and yeah, then and divorce and kids <laughs> who hate you because you never talk to them. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, right? So Heaven then forbid. you're sacrificing the kids, you're sacrificing, you're sacrificing all these yeah. other things. So yeah. I think we need to be realistic in our goals. And I, and I, and the younger people, I'd say, like, give yourself more time. I remember in the 20s, I thought I was going to get everything immediately. Now that I'm older, I'm like, I'll dedicate 10 years to my next goal. I'll just make sure it's worthy enough of my time and energy while I'm pursuing that goal, making sure that my close relationships are good and I have time with my daughter because it's not worth just working all this time and not watching her grow up, not being a father, not being in her life, not having a high quality relationship, not taking care of my body, maybe for a short period of time for like, okay, three months and I'm going to go ham, you know, if it could, because I have to, and I'm very clear on what my goal is and then to come back. Um, but really just understanding your own self through your values. So I think seeking balance versus seeking exponential growth is just such a, a critical insight. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. I mean, I still had a business, have a business for 30 years, but it's like, does it need to have revenues of a million or can it have revenues of, of, you know, 200,000? And what's the difference? You know, in one case, you, you could still have a profitable situation, but like you said, okay, time for the kids, time for the exercise, time for this, time for that. And I actually found, um, you know, there's an uh, analog when I was in college, I played varsity sports. And the seasons that I played, I always got better grades. And you go, wait a minute, you had, you're spending 20 hours in practice. How's that the case? Why? Because balance, right? Moving my body, more endorphins, more energy, more focus, more discipline when I wasn't at practice. Uh, so it's not like a zero sum game. It's not like if you just do balance, that means you're going to just be, you know, sniffing flowers, even though you will sniff flowers. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, this has been uh, beautiful and I think practical and very helpful. Is there anything that I should have asked that you would like to discuss before we close this? Make sure you tell people where they can find your book and your work, but is there anything else that you feel like we might've missed that should be discussed on this topic? The field report. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let me think. No, thanks for asking. Um, uh, Things. Um, you know, I just, I guess I just want to say that I want to reiterate that, um, for someone like me on the bipolar spectrum or depression or other, you know, like mental health diagnoses where there was a genetic or a a biochemical brain thing, I don't want to be flipping about that and say, you know, balance alone or exercise alone, or those alone will be enough. I want to reiterate and remember that if there is that diagnosis, it's medication plus therapy, plus support network, plus all these practices that we've talked about, right? But with that, you can leave, lead a beautiful life and, and, and so rich and full. And so, you know, the diagnosis is not, DNA is not destiny. You know, the diagnosis becomes an opportunity to, for healing. So don't get like, bummed out. You know, if, if uh, somebody says, Oh, I found out in bipolar. Good. Great. Now you're going to get the right meds, you know, and God willing. And, um, it's a journey. So these are all complementary, right? They're all complementary kinds of approaches. So it's not either, or it's the whole gestalt, but you can do it. Um, you know, trust yourself, um, love, bless yourself, get help, you know, connect to people who love you and, and, um, you know, live your best life. I love it. Well, I love so many things you share, just, you know, um, disconnecting uh, that 24, 36 hours. What else? Oh, yeah. Show the book. About the book. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, sorry, this book that I just wrote, it's called Brainstorm from Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. It's a memoir, but it's got a lot of stuff we talked about, plus more. 
Um, people say it reads like a novel, you know, I finish it in a day. There's also an audiobook. Um, if you go on Amazon, you'll see some really beautiful, compelling reviews. And I encourage you to get the book. Um, if you, you know, look up Sarah Schley Brainstorm on Amazon, or you can go to my website, which is Sarah Schley, like that's spelled, <laughs> dot com. Uh, and it's probably in your notes too, right, Matt? So I hope you read the book. I hope you drop me a line on my website. Let me know what you thought about it. Leave a review, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. And, and thank you for all those uh, wonderful insights. Like I said, just the, the 24 to 36 hours to yourself, um, you know, is just simple and practical and getting yourself into balance, seeking balance. Um, but I think from that balance, we're striving for growth. It's just right. That's why I had the yin yang symbol. It's like that, you know, there's a push and pull, right? There's an exertion and there's a rest. And so noticing that in yourself, but I just appreciate you and your work. And thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you too. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. My pleasure. Good chatting with you. All right. Thanks, guys, for watching. We'll see you in the next one. Peace. <laughs> there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Sarah Schley. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and you found some of these perspectives and these tools helpful for yourself or maybe for someone you know. And if you think someone would benefit from this episode and this knowledge, please share this episode with them. If you want to support the show, um, leave a review on iTunes, become a member at mattbelair.com, um, and that will be great. But the best thing you can do is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world. If you want to check out some of my work and programs, uh, go to mattbelair.com, check out the Soul Compass, the Quantum Heart Hypnosis, uh, and the Zen Athlete Program, all basically designed around knowing who you are, your authentic self, and uh, creating that life using the tools of spirituality, of mindfulness, of peak performance, of mindset, to basically architect the life of your dreams while navigating all the challenges uh, that life brings. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time and attention. Uh, wishing you all of the best wherever you are in the world. So let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this show. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, power, courage, faith, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.